Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So what do you conclude when you pray for something and God doesn't answer? Or he does not answer the way you would like for him to answer? Maybe you're praying or you've prayed for someone for for a physical healing. Or you have prayed for a provision of some kind or for a reconciliation in a, in a relationship that is, is broken apart. I mean, all of those are good things. You would think God would want to grant those things, but what happens when you pray for them and, and nothing seems to happen? Well, if you repeat that often enough, many people become discouraged, and we say, why, what's the point? I mean, why should I keep praying? You may be new here this morning, Maybe you're exploring faith, and you came in here thinking, well, everybody else in the room, because they're, they're here in church, I mean, they got it all together, they're like saintly people, and so that, that doesn't happen for them. Like, their prayers always get answered. Let's burst a couple of those bubbles here right away, and that is, you know, we, we don't all have it all together, and you're not alone. I, I, I actually just want to ask the question, how many of you have prayed for something over and over again, it just seems like God is not granting that for you? Anybody just honest? Yeah. Okay, so look around and see, you are not alone in this. And so the discouragement can actually be compounded with some distorted teaching that we sometimes hear these days that says that if you claim something, if you believe it enough, then God is going to grant that. You just, you just have to claim it, you have to believe it enough, and God's going God's to grant that thing, whatever it is. And then if I don't receive it, then I have to figure, well, I must be claiming it wrong. I must be doing something wrong, and I need to figure out how to fix that. Okay, this morning, I want to just set all of that aside, okay? I want to set, set aside that distorted teaching. I want to set aside for a moment your disappointment with the prayers that you may have prayed that God doesn't seem to answer. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look in, we're going to listen in on Jesus praying for something and modeling for us victorious prayer. And victorious prayer for Jesus did not mean that he got what he wanted. It also did not mean that he was spared from difficulty and from a valley that he was about to go through. He was not spared from it, but his victorious prayer prepared him for the valley that he was to go through And I think this is going to be useful for many of us who are either in a valley right now or facing a valley as we learn from Jesus how to pray. So if you would take a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 22. We are continuing this series looking at Jesus last week leading up to his crucifixion and leading us up to Easter. Last week, we looked at the Last Supper the Last Supper that Jesus enjoyed with his disciples. It was the Passover meal. And it was a a profound moment because Jesus is looking back to 
an event that happened in the past where God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus is infusing new meaning into that event and saying that now there's a new rescue happening that I'm accomplishing for you, I'm about to accomplish on, on the cross. And so he's, he, this is like a profound moment. And in the midst of this profound moment, the disciples start arguing about who is the greatest. I mean, you talk about really poor timing. And yet Jesus is so gracious, he, he still points them to the future, and he says there is a kingdom feast coming, there is a marriage feast of the Lamb. You're going to be there, and you're going to be ruling with me. So things will turn out well, but not before some intense testing. And so that's where we'll pick it up in verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, another name for Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay, I want to point out something before we go on here. There's something we can't see in the English. You may have a footnote in, in your Bible that points out the fact that in verse 31, the you there is plural. Okay, because we're in Philadelphia, we would say use. So, behold, Satan, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have use, use disciples, all of you, that he might sift you all like wheat. Now, in verse 32, he switches to singular, and now he's talking directly to Peter. But I have prayed for you, singular, personally, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows a test is coming for, for Peter, but Peter thinks pretty highly of himself. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Jesus knows Peter is going to falter, but his faith is not going to completely fail Thanks to Jesus' intercession, thanks to Jesus' prayer for him, Jesus says in verse 32, I have prayed for you. And he uses a different word here than we're going to see just a little bit later, Jesus' prayer in the garden. This word prayed is, I have begged, I have pleaded for you. He's interceding on behalf of Peter. And his prayer will be victorious, we'll see. I don't want to give too much away. But for the, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip a paragraph here, verses 35 to 38. We're covering a lot of ground here this morning, so I'll let you read that on your own. Jesus is giving some instructions to his disciples. But I want to go to his model of prayer in, in the garden on the Mount of Olives. And so go to verse 39. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. All right, we're going to come back to these verses, and we're going to dwell on them for a few moments, learn from them, unpack them. But I want to just read on because I want you to get the whole picture of what's happening here. Verse 47, while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. When I was in public, you left me alone, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus is is entering into darkness. There is darkness ahead for him. The next thing that's going to happen is he's going to be put on trial, and then he will be condemned, he will be tortured, and he will die a, a shameful execution. But in the midst of all of this, in the midst of even right here in the garden as he is being arrested, Jesus, we find Jesus calm. We find him collected. We find him gracious. I mean, he's healing someone. Someone's coming for him to take him away, to arrest him unjustly. And he heals his, his ear and he's calming everybody down. And we see in the In the hours to come, he just continues that way. Nobody is catching him off guard, surprising him. He is not flustered. He is completely in control. And we could say he's victorious. He's victorious over the darkness that is coming for him. In complete contrast to the disciples. I mean, we see the disciples kind of just going nuts here, getting violent, pulling out their, their sword. We see... We see them falling asleep when he's asking them to pray. We, we are going to see Peter's denial in just a moment. We see Judas's betrayal. Here's the question. Why do the disciples fail when Jesus is victorious? The answer is Jesus prayed. See, victory over darkness begins with victory in prayer. Victory over darkness begins with victory in prayer. And here we have to reclaim the word victory from distortion. So so let me define spiritual victory this way. Spiritual victory is not getting what you want. It is doing what God wants. Okay, let me say that again because we can get that twisted all up because we get so me-focused. Spiritual victory is not getting what you want. It is having the spiritual strength to do what God wants wants. See, getting what I want is so petty. It's oftentimes so small. God is doing something much bigger. God is fighting darkness. God is fighting evil. And victory is when I stop trying to use God to make my story better, and when I offer myself to be better used as part of God's story. 
Victory is not when I am spared going through darkness, but when I am prepared to go through the darkness in faith, in confidence, in peace, trusting the Lord. Some of you are facing darkness right now. I mean, you're, maybe you're facing a season of darkness. Maybe you just got a medical diagnosis. I mean, we just talked about a family who just had a fire. They have a season of darkness they're going to go through to have to rebuild all of that. You may be facing a season of darkness. Or maybe there's just a darkness that you face every day over and over again. Maybe there's a habit that just keeps tripping you up. She keeps cutting your feet out from underneath you. Maybe there is a mindset that you have that you believe that you know is not consistent with what God has said is true, and yet it is so ingrained in you, it just feels true. It just feels like this is reality. Maybe that's a darkness that, that you face, and it drags you into sin, a temptation that drags you into sin to believe or to do Something that is not true. Victory over that darkness. I hope you have something in mind right now that is true for you. Maybe nobody else even knows about. The victory from that darkness will not come from your willpower. You already know that because you've tried that. Okay, the victory over that darkness won't come from some new self-help technique. The victory over that darkness will come through faith in Christ expressed through prayer, victorious prayer. So what does victorious prayer look like? Well, Jesus models it and calls us to it. Verse 40, going back to verse 40. When Jesus came to the place, he said to his disciples, pray that you will not enter into temptation. Jesus is facing his, his darkest Valley. The spiritual battle here is intense. He says, pray that you will not enter into temptation. Some of your translations may say, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Can I, that, that's not a good translation of that Greek word. Fall means it's, it's like if you were walking in the forest and there was a hole that you didn't see and you accidentally fell into temptation. We don't accidentally fall into temptation. Jesus says, don't enter into the temptation. It's more like, instead of a hole in the, the middle of the forest, it's more like you're walking down the street and there's a building off to the side and you hear music coming out that's enticing to you. It sounds like a party going on in there. Or you smell food, it smells really good, and you're thinking, I want to go in there. You know that if you go in there, there's sin is going to happen. You're giving into that temptation. Jesus says, don't enter into that temptation. Walk on by. Just keep walking by that building. Now, the power to do that, again, the strength to walk on by does not come from your willpower. It comes from spiritual victory in prayer. And know this, it's not a sin to be tempted, okay? Sometimes we beat ourselves up for the temptations that we face. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted, but he did not sin. Martin Luther said, said this, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. So we can't avoid temptation. Victory is, though, not entering into that temptation, not engaging with it. 
And victory over that darkness begins with victory in prayer. So let's look at Jesus' victorious prayer here, and let's learn how to pray victoriously so that we can overcome temptation. Jesus' prayer is 100% intentional, it's 100% honest, and it's 100% yielded. He he is, first of all, 100% intentional. He made a choice to pray. So in verse 41, it says, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. So this is Jesus intentionally saying, I'm taking time to connect with my Father in prayer. This is not the, I'm driving down the road on my way to work. I didn't have time to pray this morning, so I'm praying while I drive, keeping my eyes open. Okay, that's okay. You can, you can do that. I do that. I pray. Keep your eyes open, please. I'm, I do that, but this is not like I ran out of time, and so now I'm cramming it in somewhere. This is, I'm setting time aside. I'm pushing back the other things in my life. And I'm finding room to be intentional to come to God with the darkness that I am facing. So it's 100% intentional. And oftentimes you're going to have to do that alone. It's good to pray with other people. That's one of the reasons why we have small groups. So we can come together, we can pray for each other. It's good to pray with other people, but sometimes, sometimes you have to withdraw from the other people because sometimes... I mean, not everybody's as passionate about whatever it is that's going on in your life. Sometimes you just got to do it with God alone. You got to withdraw, and, and sometimes doing the right thing is lonely. I, I tell you, one of the things that's been so inspiring to me as I watch what's going on with Ukraine, as I hear from their president, hear from their soldiers, hear, as I hear them saying, you know, no one else may fight with us. And I know we're, we're supporting them in different ways to, to try to help them in this. But they, they say, even if nobody else fights with us, we, we believe in this, and we're, we're going to fight alone. And that's some, some of those battles we have to fight alone. We have to be 100% intentional. Jesus was also 100% honest. In verse 42, He he begins his prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, could this go a different way? He knows what lies ahead of him. What what is the cup? The cup in, in the Old Testament prophets referred to God's judgment, God's judgment against sin. And Jesus knows that God's judgment and all of his wrath and all of his hatred for the sin in the world that separates us from him, all of that was going to be poured onto this one God-man, Jesus, in this moment. He knows. He knows that there is physical torture involved in that. He also knows there's spiritual separation involved in that that he's never experienced before. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, That he, for our sake, God the Father made God the Son to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are not the righteousness of God on our own. So for us to become the righteousness of God, Jesus had to do something and intervene for us. And so he took the sin of the world on himself. And as he did that, the Father had to turn his face away. And he experienced a separation that he had never experienced from all of eternity past. And so he cried out on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. In in honesty, Jesus would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And so Jesus is 100% honest. He's, he's telling God, God, if there's, if, there, if there's any other way, if there's any other thing that you had in mind that for whatever reason you didn't share it with me, I would love for this to go a different path. So, so when you and I are engaging in victorious prayer, it's okay to be 100% honest with him, to tell God, here's how I feel about this situation. Here's how I feel about this darkness. He already knows. So it doesn't do you any good to pretend and try to be pious and just, you know, I'm trying to say the right things now. It, God already knows your heart, but there's something about verbalizing that reality to him. This is, a, this is being honest and making a connection with him as Jesus did. Jesus was 100% intentional about his prayer. He was 100% honest. And then he ends by being 100% yielded. The second half of verse 42, he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is where victorious prayer concludes. This is the end that victorious prayer is driving towards. When we've given up what we want, and we've said, God, whatever it is that you want, I will do. Then at that point, that's when you can emerge from your prayer closet. Okay, you know what a prayer closet is? Like in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about praying in secret, praying to your fathers just between you and me. So you go in your prayer closet intentionally, you're honest with him, but then you're saying, okay, God, in the end, I want what you want over and above what I want. That's when you know it's okay. You're, you're, you've completed your prayer time and you can come out of your prayer closet because you're ready to go out and be obedient to what God has called you to do. This kind of prayer is hard work. I mean, there are other kinds of prayer. There's, there's comforting prayer. There's feeling the love kind of prayer. That's good, too. It's good to sometimes just sit, be still with God, just marinate in his love for you. That's, that's good prayer when it almost feels like you're getting a divine hug. That's, that's good prayer, too. But when you are facing darkness, victorious prayer becomes your preparation and you're equipping for battle. And it's hard. In verse 43, for Jesus, it says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I mean, you and I will never face the level of darkness that, that Jesus did. But the darkness that we face comes comes hard against us as well, and it's hard to fight against. That, this kind of prayer is hard work, and you should expect that it will be. This is the kind of prayer that Jesus models, and he calls us to, but the disciples fell asleep. Verse 45, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? And he repeats his call again, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's temptation coming. There's darkness pressing in. Rise and pray so that you won't fall into it. All right, we started with Jesus warning Peter. What became of Peter? Let's go to verse 54. When they seized Jesus in the garden and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. 
And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What a poignant scene that at the moment that Peter fails, he should have eye contact with Jesus. Peter failed when his temptation came and all the disciples fell away and left Jesus alone. Why? Because they, they failed to pray. They failed to, and they yielded to temptation because they failed to pray. You and I are going to face darkness in our lives. We are going to be tempted. And Jesus calls to us, as he called to the disciples, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation, that you may walk on by. I have to believe that in, in a church our size, there are there's probably more than one person that struggles with pornography, is tempted by pornography. Maybe you're so afraid of intimacy with your spouse that you falsify, you create a false intimacy in, in pornography. That's a temptation, that's a darkness that draws you. For others, you, you misuse the position that God has given you at work, or at home, instead of serving others, that's why God gives us positions and opportunities to serve others. Instead of serving others, you take advantage of others. For some of you, you get into a conflict and your knee-jerk response is to blame somebody else and you can't see the log in your own eye. And for still others, there, there are those who have... have set up a person in your life that you look to to provide things that really only God can provide. You look to a person for stability or comfort or provision. So things that God has promised to you, but you're putting that pressure onto another human being that can't bear up under that pressure, and you've made an idol of that person. There's all kinds of temptations and darkness that draws us in, and the temptation itself is not a sin. Okay, just like the, the fish that looks at the worm hanging on the line, it's not a, temp, it's not a sin for that fish to say, wow, that, that's a good, juicy-looking, delicious worm. I really want to clamp down. I'm not sure why fish think that about, about worms. But, you know, that's, that part is not the sin. The sin is entering into that temptation, it's entering into that building instead of walking on by. And the strength to make that victorious decision to keep walking and walk past that temptation comes from victorious prayer. Prayer that is 100% intentional, 100% honest, 100% yielded 
to what God wants us to do. So let's be honest. We don't always choose victory. I mean, sometimes, like Peter, we, we fall asleep, and we, we don't pray, and then we falter. But here's the good news. When we stumble, Jesus is still so gracious with us. Let's go back to where we started in verse 31. Simon, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, singular. I have interceded for you that your faith may not fail. Peter's faith faltered, but it did not ultimately fail because Jesus prayed for him, interceded for him. And he said, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter would turn again. He would turn back to Jesus again. There's a beautiful scene in John chapter 21 where Jesus restores Peter to ministry. So what we read this morning, Peter denied Jesus three times. In John 21, Jesus asks Peter three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he restores him to his service. And then we see, if we read into Acts, we see Peter powerfully ministering. We see him where he's a coward today, denying Jesus. He is confronting the very religious leaders that put Jesus to, to death, and he's confronting them to their face because of Jesus' grace. He, he says, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. He writes, he leaves us two letters that are communicating hope to churches in the midst of trials and in the midst of darkness. So, so Jesus interceded for Peter and his prayers for Peter were victorious. And here's the good news for us. Jesus is interceding also for us. First John 2, chapter 1 or verse 1, says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the ultimate goal of John writing his letter. That's really the ultimate goal of all of Scripture is that we would stop sinning, that we would do what God wants us to do. So that's the goal. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the very one that we sometimes think is going to come to condemn us. He is the one who is advocating for us when we sin. And then Hebrews 7 says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's, that's for us. Jesus is always living. To, that's, he's interceding for us now. He intercedes for us when we fail, and he intercedes for us that we would not fail. That's Jesus' ministry to us now. And so you should know that when you are tempted and when you stumble, Jesus is on your side and he's advocating for you. So as we close here today, I hope that you pray like Jesus. I hope that you are victorious over darkness like Jesus was. But when you're not, know that Jesus is gracious and his grace lifts us up again, says, stand up again, move, move forward. I'm picking you up, dusting you off. I want to give us a moment as we close here this morning just to practice this kind of prayer. So we're just going to be still for a moment, and you can go ahead and just even close your eyes, but we're also going to put up on the screen, if you need a reminder, we're engaging now in prayer for a moment that is 100% intentional. That's why we're intentionally stopping to pray. It's 
We, and I encourage you just in the quiet of your heart to be 100% honest with God about darkness that you are facing. Maybe that habit that keeps kicking, uh, kicking your feet out from under you or a season of darkness that you're facing. You're like, I don't know if I can handle this. Be honest with him about that. And then, and then move to being yielded to him. God, not what I want, but what you want. And, and this is, for many of you, going to take longer than we have time for here this morning. So we'll just get it started. And then I hope that you will come back to this kind of prayer later on today and later on this week to be intentional, to be honest, to be yielded. Let's take a moment just to practice with the Lord and spend time with him. Lord Jesus, we give you praise because you were victorious in prayer and you were victorious in carrying out the work that your Father had for you. Uh, as, as difficult as that was, you were victorious in overcoming darkness, in overcoming sin. And you call us to follow in your footsteps, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you intercede for us even now that we might be strengthened to sin less in our lives so that we might be obedient and carrying out the work that God has given to us. But thank you, too, Jesus, that when we do fail, when we do falter, that you are interceding for us. You are our advocate for forgiveness. Lord, help us to be Help, help us to fight hard against the darkness that exists in each of our lives, each of our homes, each of our workplaces. There's a lot of darkness in this world, but you give us the equipment to be able to fight against it and, and push it back. Jesus, we want to we follow you. We want to make you uh, pleased with us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.